The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now, Robbie Williams has admitted he hardly ever has sex with his wife Ada, but they're still very happy together. Uh, could his comments be mirrored by other middle-aged married men? And how important is sex in a long-term relationship? I'm joined now by Tara Logan Buckley, clinical psychologist. Tara, good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I'm very well. Now, is Robbie's problem unique to him or is it much more prevalent than that? It's certainly much more prevalent. So if we're looking at kind of, let's say, we kind of refer to these as sexless marriages. So that means that couples don't have sex within a period of, let's say, six six months to one year or else less than 10 times a year. So that's kind of how we, we refer to as a sexless marriage. But research indicates that it's roughly up to 20% of marriages are sexless. And that's actually dramatically increasing in the younger generation, where we're seeing that actually going up to sometimes 50%. Uh, 50% in the younger generation. Uh, what's the reason? I think there's a few different things for that. So a really interesting paper came out in 2022 where they talk about it being a hookup culture. Whereas before you had to make a relationship last, you went to the dance, you met people out in bars. Whereas now, and I think COVID had a massive impact, was where you meet everybody online. It's kind of like you have this idea that the grass is always greener. It's quite easy to match with people. You've got Tinder, you've got Bumble, you've got Hinge and everything like that. There's also a financial instability, which brings an awful lot of stress and insecurity to the young generation. There is obviously a massive increase in social media, in body image issues. And also sometimes there's an inability with the social communication skills. So it's really hard for people to initiate romantic um, connections or to cultivate those because they they don't know how. Um, Okay, but we're not really talking about singles here. We're talking about people who have made that marriage commitment or that partnership commitment. And, uh, you know, how long would you say it takes before for this 20% or whatever, they go off the whole business? Yeah, so typically what we can see is that the first six months to one year in a relationship is you're kind of on that hyperdrive. So there's an awful lot of sex, an awful lot of energy and chemistry. So what we start to notice is that anywhere from six months to one year, that starts to decline. And then it's usually after about that three year mark that relationships start to struggle with there being a lack of sex and intimacy. Um, It might be that uh, familiarity uh, kind of destroys uh, sexual attraction. You know, the mystery of the other party is evaporates in the face of dirty socks and underwear. Absolutely. I think as well, when you become obviously familiar with a partner and you build a life together, other stuff kind of get in the way as well. So I think, you know, normal life circumstances dramatically impact that. So if we think about stress, even lack of sleep, medical issues, illnesses, big life changes, people having children, changing jobs or relationship issues, they're all going to dramatically increase the frequency that you're wanting to go to have, have sex. And actually, there's a real kind of like bi-directional relationship between sexual satisfaction and relationship satisfaction. So if you're not actually happy with your partner, you're not going to want to be intimate and have sex with that partner as well. And you think, you know, you, you then start to get to know someone after the year mark and relationship issues might come up as well. I also think for a lot of people, the lack of communication about sex is something that triggers this. And also, I suppose, not having that open and honest communication about actually what your sexual needs are. Because when we get with someone, we tend to kind of maybe cater for what they are and not release it, really 
realizing what our own sexual type is or what our own needs are and that we kind of go for the whole well it's normal for a relationship for sex to die down when in fact it's actually not normal at all for a relationship not to have sex mm. what about um the, the the party uh, most experiencing this is it mostly the male mostly the female in equal part yeah, I think there's kind of a misconception out there that usually it's with the female that sexual drive drops, but actually it's both. It's about a 50-50%, so it's male and female. And that makes sense because if we look at male sexual peak, that's late ad- adolescence and early 20s. That's where they peak sexually. It's where they have the most orgasms. It's where their drive is the highest. But if we look at females, their sexual peak actually doesn't come until their 30s and it stays relatively the same from their 30s up until around 55 years of age. So if you think about it, we're quite mismatched in that sense. So it's about a 50-50 that if we look at kind of middle deal marriages and couples, that it's not just the female that doesn't want to have sex or initiate it. Also, we're seeing it with males. So it is that 50-50%. Now, uh, you mentioned social media and uh, the availability of uh, contacts online, those uh, dating apps and so on. To what extent are they fomenting on happiness? You know, the the, the couple uh, partner up, get married, maybe have a kid, and but still on tap. There's this old resource that they used to use as single people, and they're thinking, oh, if only I had gone for her, or if only I'd gone for him, I'd be better off than I am now. Yeah, I definitely think that could be an element for certain relationships. I think that, again, that boils down to communication, that boils down to having a really honest kind of conversation about what your sexual needs and your sexual type are. I definitely think that for some relationships, social media play a factor. So, for example, if we look at women that are after having a child, there's a massive societal pressure that they're meant to get back into shape. They're meant to be a certain weight. They're meant to be like super mom and do all of these things. That's just not actually possible for a female to do after having words. So that means body image can be affected which can impact their own psychological well-being and therefore impact the relationship. The same with kind of, I think that it's not only women that suffer with body image issues, but but so do males. So I think that like social media and societal pressures play into all of this. But also if we look at the kind of what we as society think is normal sex, so it's very much like nudity, genitals, orgasm, penetration, that's only one type of a sexual type. And I think we're programmed as a society that this is the way that we're all meant to be, when in fact, it's only one of the five different sexual types that we can be as well. So I think we're not even realizing our own sexual types and saying that to our partner and exploring those together. Yeah, but if they're at odds with each other, what then? It's about working on it. That's that's the big thing. I think that what can happen is, let's say if you're one side of the relationship where you're initiating it and you're being rejected all of the time, then obviously resentment is going to build within that relationship and the want and desire is going to go. So it's about sitting down and having that open communication and realizing, is this the right thing for me? Can we actually make this work? Are we designed to be together? Because I think a lot of people just think they have to be together or that all this kind of stuff with sexual functioning decreasing or other stuff going on that it's normal when in fact it's having the conversation actually it's not normal for us not to have sex and why aren't we having sex what is impacting this in our relationship now you obviously can't judge uh, the sexual health of a relationship by the presence or otherwise of children there are obviously uh, fertility issues for some uh, contraceptive uh, practices by others but then there are uh, some people and they end up with a family of 10 or 11 and they can't wait to have another one. <laughs> yes. So, so clearly some people do find their sexual soulmate. 
Absolutely, 100%. That's it. And that, like, you know, it's, it's not just it, loads of different life circumstances because sex is very um, contextual. And I think people kind of forget about that. And some people are quite spontaneous in their sexual response. Other people are more responsive in their. And it's about finding someone you can work, you can work with that. Because if we look at it, lots of relationships and marriages with people being together for 20 and 30 years have amazing sexual healthy appetites and drives towards each other. So it can happen. And there's loads of people out there that it does. It's just I think it's discovering that actually it's not normal not to do that and that there's something else amiss and typically it is something that's going on in the life or going on within the relationship that needs to be addressed and then that amazing sex life that you once had can come back because if you think about it back in the start it was there it's just it's about how do we work together to get back to that point. Uh, this one on the text screen surely a sexless marriage can often be an active choice some couples can have a wonderful relationship including intimacy but no sex and in fact uh, Robbie and Ada um, say sometimes they're more interested in watching the latest trending show on Netflix um, as long as they're both on the same page it doesn't really matter yeah, absolutely. That That's 100% accurate as well. So like, I think a lot of people get confused with sex and intimacy. I think they think and I think it's the same thing when in fact they're, they're very, very different, but intimacy can lead into sex. So it completely depends, for example, again, on your, your sexual type. So if you're both, let's say, sensual types who just like being in each other's companies, being kind of like ignited by your senses, having those really deep, meaningful conversations, just sitting next to each other in close proximity, holding hands, that might be your predominant type and the other person. So actually you are getting your needs met if two people are like that together. Mm. But it's about finding someone and being okay with that as well. Now, the the other question is lifestyles today, uh, where you have two people in a couple out at work, uh, they come home, pick up the kids, make food, prepare the lunch for the next day for the kids and so on. They are utterly fatigued, utterly stressed. Um, Very hard to kind of say, let's have a rumble in the hay after that kind of a day. Absolutely, 100%, without a shadow of a doubt. And it's really kind of important, I suppose, when we talk about it, this, when we work with this, is to look at, okay, what factors are impacting? So is it stress? Is it not enough time? So I always talk about the importance of date nights. Like couples really need to actively work on having date nights together where it's just time for them. That doesn't necessarily have to lead to sex, but it might lead to intimacy and feeling connected and closer as well. So it's about for couples, even though modern life is so busy, it's about still protecting time for that relationship. And there's another thing that we call as well, it's called maintenance which I really don't like the terminology, but it's that sex doesn't have to be spontaneous all of the time. That actually, if you plan an evening once a week where you are going to be intimate and sexual with one another, that can actually increase your sexual desire with, with over time, even though, yeah, it's not the most spontaneous, but it's still working on it. And it's realizing, okay, well, X, Y, and Z is affecting me during the week. So maybe our night could be a Friday evening. It could be a, a Sunday during the day but it's about recognising what in this relationship is impacting me personally and my sexual wants, needs and desires what's impacting my partners and coming together and focusing on solutions and how you can work around that for the two of you and that leads to amazing sexual life being built with your partner again And finally, any residue of Irish Catholic guilt playing into all of this? 
Um, I, I definitely think so. I think, you know, a lot of the time people think that they, in relationships, they should just be having sex because of the sake of it. It's something to do. We don't talk about maybe topics that are, are taboo. So if we look at another one of our sexual kind of types that we are, one is kink. And when we think about kink, we automatically think about real kind of off topic, maybe more of the dark sexual type when actually it's not. Some are psychological, like that power dynamic. Other ones are more sensual. It might be feathers. It might be role play, whatever it is. But we are a society have I suppose been stigmatized and we've not been allowed openly discuss sex or erotic or anything like that and the thing is it's really important for us because it falls under our different sexual types so I definitely think there is still a kind of a residual effect with that um, at the moment in Ireland but I do see a change I see more and more people openly talking about it coming to the therapy space saying actually I do have issues in this area there's an increase in couples going using sexual um, therapies and therapists as well but I definitely think in Ireland that's something that has still and will continue for some time to impact how we view sex and how we talk about sex because it isn't openly talked about it like even if you go for a group dinner with friends it's not a topic of conversation that typically comes up on on a night out yeah it seems the japanese talk about it all the time but they won't talk about politics so there you go yeah Yeah. Um, another one says uh, this is usually down to testosterone levels dropping yeah, for the males. So if we think about it, their testosterone levels um, peak in their adolescence and into their early 20s. And then when males get into their 30s, their testosterone levels starts to drop off until their 50s. And that explains why women and males sexual peaks vary and they're different in their ages because of a drop of testosterone. The thing is as well is that for some males that experience this, I always say that a lot of people are quite embarrassed to go and talk to their GP about difficulties like this. But for example, iron can affect it. Um, vitamin deficiencies like B12, um, D12, lots of different things, not just necessarily testosterone. So it can be a combination. And sometimes just getting a standard blood test to actually see this can dramatically impact your findings. And you might be able to take supplements to be able to help that as well. But it's about it's about breaking the stigma for yourself and that kind of like fear of going and talking to your GP about this because they hear it all the day. We hear it as therapists and we welcome and we want people to talk about this with us because it's such an important part of, first of all, development in your adolescence, early 20s, but then also for that intimacy with your partner for lifelong intimacy. Okay, so Tuesday night, maintenance sex with feathers. (laughs) (laughs) Tara you are a pearl of wisdom a a collection of them Tara Logan Buckley clinical psychologist uh, thank you very much for joining us The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance weekdays at 9am on News Talk